Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome everybody and welcome to today's show. And I have not just one guest for you, no, today I have two guests for you. Their names are Kate Resky sumer and we have also Debbie Cohen here with us. Both are the founder of Humanity Works. Kate is a master coach and a former faculty of the Coactive Training Institute, and she has developed leaders at organizations all over the world, really, such as Mozilla, Pinterest, Adobe, Davita, CBS Interactive, and so on and so forth. The list goes on and on. And she has a master's degree from Cambridge University here in England, and she is the co-author of Humanity Works Better, a joint endeavor that uh, we are going to talk about today quite a bit. Debbie is also the co-founder of Humanity Works, and she has held executive leadership roles within human resources, also in different organizations such as Time Warner, Razorfish, Mozilla, and First Look LLC. And she has had her first Harvard Business Publishing released with her case study about people operations at Mozilla Corporation, scaling a peer-to-peer global community, which received the 2013 Berkeley House Case Award for the most important contributions to management education. I mean, that is quite something. We are going to talk today about humanity and how we act as humans, as human beings in organizations and in the world really around us, do we stop from time to time and pay attention to our behaviors, our world of being, our values, and the impact we have on others? Or do we keep staying on the treadmill and just trying to get our tasks done to achieve goals, not even questioning as to whether those goals are actually meaningful and relevant? Do we actually pay attention to other people around us? Do we truly care? Are we curious about them? Do we know even in times when a lot of us work from home mainly and we don't see our co-workers, how they are truly feeling and what's really going on for them? Do we treat people more as resources or as people, as humans? These are some of the conversations we are having here in this conversation. We are also going to talk about the five practices that Debbie and Kate uh, describe in their book, Humanity Works Better. And the five practices are creating safety, working together, claiming values, 
owning your impact and daring not to know, which is highly connected to creating safety and owning your impact. They're actually all quite uh, interconnected. And we are diving in particular deeper into claiming values, what that means, how Debbie and Kate actually claimed their values, how they built a life of alignment, how other people can build a life of alignment, and how it helps to focus on alignment between the head and the heart within organizations. What happens if you don't lift those practices? That's also an important question to talk about. And both of them share very, very openly how they stay basically true to themselves as individuals, as business partners, as an organization, how they make choices about who to work with, who not to work with, and what signals basically to pay attention to. And we are diving into safety and how some people can create an environment that doesn't feel safe at all, others do it far better, but also how can we help these people, these individuals to receive feedback and to create a higher level of awareness. So those and many other topics we are going to discuss in the upcoming episode. I'd love to hear your feedback as always and how you found the episode, what you found particularly interesting, what you want to learn more about. And also, as always, feel free to get in touch. Get in touch with Debbie and Kate. Get in touch with me. Ask questions. And uh, I hope we can learn from each other. But first of all, enjoy the show today. So hello and welcome. I'm so excited to talk to these two ladies here today, Debbie Cohen and Kate Resky-Zumer. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. So great to have you both. You are the founders of Humanity Works. And in all honesty, when I read this name I, for the first time, I was like, why didn't I come up with this title? This is amazing. It's so clear. It is exactly how I'm feeling about working in particular with leaders in corporates, what the world needs more of. It's simple at the same time. So well done, ladies. Brilliant name. Thank you. Thank you. But most importantly, you've also published a, a book called Humanity Works Better. And thank you so much for sharing a version with me. I uh, found it very exciting. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about the book and the knowledge you offer um, to the readers, obviously. But before we do that, let's hear more about you. The first question is basically, what is it you do? What is your purpose? What is your day-to-day -day work? So we, um, we have developed three programs that we deliver in organizations, one for the manager level, which is called resilient manager, one for the VP level, which is influential leader, and one at the executive level, which is called executive pause. And we do coaching. We do a lot of executive coaching as a way to supplement that and support organizations who are trying to become more human centered. That is the goal that we are living. And the book was a way to offer up some of the concepts that we cover in those programs so that more people could have access to them. Part of what Kate and I observed and experienced in the decades we spent inside companies is how roadblocks happen, right? The problem set in the book is about productivity is about people. But for decades, we have made it about efficiency and about process. 
And we have efficiencyed and processed people to where there's nothing left for them to give. And in that moment of scarcity, fatigue, shortness of resources, sort of the worst of people comes out. We don't know how in that moment of messiness to be with each other. And part of what we claim is those are the roadblocks to productivity, that people are really the key to amplifying productivity. And when people work well together, when they can navigate through those tough, messy moments, the business wins and so does the relationships Mm -hmm. between people. When we named the company, so I love that you called that out, we're like, wow, we want to bring more humanity to the workplace. And we're like, what does that actually mean? Maybe we better pause here for a minute and like, what does it mean? You know, we use that word very loosely. And part of what we found is humanity is about the interconnection of humans. And we don't focus on that interconnection in the workplace. We kind of skip over that and sort of mask it with process and procedures. But emotions do happen. Conflict does occur. Difference of opinions and perspectives happen. And so what happens? How do people know how to be with each other when that messiness happens? And that's really what we do through our programs is to give companies and individuals the skills and the awareness to shift the way that they're behaving. So much you said that just triggered additional thoughts. In particular, you were talking a few times now about the messiness. I personally, I'm a supporter of the theory that messiness can be super exciting if you sit with it, if you explore it, and if you see the opportunities in it, because you have this platform to create something new, fresh, exciting, something with more purpose, whatever it is that you want to create. But it gives you a lot of awareness if you kind of seize the opportunity. Stay with it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But I think so many people, <laughs> we always joke that these skills are not complicated skills. You do not need, it's not rocket science. And somehow we've sort of forgotten about these skills. We've forgotten that these schools skills are available to us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are grounded, they're coaching skills. And so I think that part of where we have seen our work be so effective in organizations and what we wanted to also put in the book is how do we remind people that they have these skills so that they can do exactly what you're talking about doing so that they can stay in the mess and get curious and really listen and understand the perspective that they're in or that somebody else is in and the myriad of other skills that we offer up. But because I think it's it's learning how to navigate when that messiness does occur. How can I navigate this yeah. to see what's here? And I mm-hmm. think people forget that they have these skills to be able to do that. The subtitle of Humanity Works Better is how to lead with awareness, choice, and the courage to change. And so when those messy moments happen and something triggers inside of you, that's a place to be like, wow. What's, what's going on right there? And what skill can I lean into right now to sort of understand what's happening mm-hmm. there? Do I need to listen more deeply? Do I need to be more curious? As Kate was just saying, what do I need to be more curious about so I can understand what's happening for that human over there? Not to judge it, but to try to understand it so I can work better with it, even if I don't agree with it. Those things happen in human dynamics and in human relationships. 
and you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, we, we procreate, we get to have these little humans and they give them to us to take home without any instruction manual. And so I'm not at all sure that we've ever been given a common set of skills to use with one another to be good humans with each other. And so that's really, you know, the platform of the book is everybody can have these five skills. They are, as to Kate's point, simple, accessible, you know, you don't need an instruction manual to learn them. Uh, The book will help you learn how to, and then how to practice them with other people and see what happens. Absolutely. And I, I agree in particular with two things. Kate said before that this is no rocket science. And when I read, and then I listened to the book as well, by the way, because I really, I kind of need to, you know, absorb content through various channels. (laughs) (laughs) And and as a coach and as a trainer, I indeed thought that's no rocket science, but you know what I thought as well. So fantastic to hear it in that order, to bring it all together and to say, okay, that makes sense because step one is that, step two is that, that enables people to do X, Y, and Z and so on and so forth. It kind of was this wonderfully rounded up, process recommendations of small tangible steps that can make a huge difference that you put in place mm. so, so I really love that at the same time what I also notice in the work that I am doing and that I've been doing in particular over the last few weeks is we talk about psychological safety we will talk about that a little bit more as we we speak about your book we talk about trust building in general we talk about your own boundaries The pushback I often hear, and then we work through is, yeah, but I need some time also to do my actual work. We need to get stuff done. We need to achieve goals. Well, from the outside, right, we understand the one will support the other. Mm -hmm. But I would love to hear just your view on it, your um, experience with it, any pushbacks that you may have experienced in the workshops that you have supported, obviously, as well. Would love to hear about it. Boy, when that jumps right out for me is we were doing a resilient manager training and the cohort that I had had a n- many new, new to role managers. And we were talking about the skills of listening and practice, curiosity, perspectives. And there was a lot of pushback from new managers who were like, my job is to answer their questions right? My job is to answer their questions. When they come to me with a problem that they don't know how to answer, they're coming to me because they don't know how to answer it. And I know the answer and I should tell them. Fair perspective. And my comment was, how's that working for you? How much of your day are you spending answering questions instead of helping grow people into finding their way to answering those questions? And isn't that part of your job as a manager? What would it be like for you to grow the capacity and capability of your people by modeling some of these skills with them, because those answers are inside them, but they need some guidance to get there. So if you think differently about your role, not as an answer giver, but to help people grow and evolve to find those answers, what would your interactions with them look like? Mm, of course, we get asked the same thing all the time. <laughs> I mean, we do, we do. It happens all the time, you know? And I I think there is a a correlation right now with the great resignation and people's feeling fulfilled and happy and well balanced at work. And this very question, we spend a huge amount of time at work. And if you have better relationships at work, 
I think you are going to be more willing to go that extra mile. And we make the case in our book for productivity is about people and how people are feeling. And, you know, you, all you have to do is pause for a minute and say, if I have a good relationship with my boss and my boss asks me to go that extra mile to work a little bit extra on this particular project, and I feel like that manager cares about me, I'm probably going to do that. But if I don't, if I feel like I am a cog in a wheel for my manager, maybe I'll do it and maybe I won't do it. And even if I do do it, am I doing it wholeheartedly or not? And I think that that is, that's where we really want to shift the conversation. These are human beings that are working for you. And if you actually spend a little bit of time on developing those relationships, then I think you're going to have a better quality of work product coming out of it. That's the case that we're sort of really trying to make in the book. And again, it comes back to the two points both of you have mentioned. The first one is awareness, pausing in that moment and just noticing what is happening, how you choose to act, to behave. And the second one is it's not about an investment of five additional hours. We are talking about moments. Yeah. All right? right. And and it is an investment because you will get something back, i.e. you will help your people to help themselves instead of coming for you to give the answers. Definitely. We talk about how in the book and through all of our trainings about how you're teaching people all the time how to treat you. And I was in a coaching session with a client yesterday and we were talking about rituals and how easy it is to fall into the rituals even if you don't like them. And I think it happens at home as much as it happens at work, we just mm-hmm. default into behavior because that's what we're used to. And actually our brain gets wired to be comfortable with what's happening. And I think back to the pause, the awareness is to ask the question, is this serving its purpose? Mm-hmm. Right. And if it's not, what simple shift can I make so that this time that I'm spending has a different outcome? Yeah. And I think that's the That's the awareness piece, right? Do I want to just be an answer server? That might fuel my ego, but does that help me build the capacity of my team? I don't know the answer to that. You know, what's important about that? Is it, and to your point, it isn't sitting everybody down and giving them a big, long lecture and sending them through hours of training. You, you start to shift what you do and you you begin to shift the way the people around you begin to act and behave. What I I love about what Deb is saying, and it's so true, is that it's one of the zillion decisions you have to make as a as a leader and as a manager. And I think that that's the discernment that she's really talking about, Deb's talking about, which is, is this a moment for me to grow this person and and help them figure this out? They can figure this out on their own. And how do I help them do that? Or or not? Because some decisions are we got to go in this direction. And that's that we got, you know, it's not a big conversation. It's not a moment to sort of teach. And so I think that that's becomes, I, I, on the one hand, we're adding another layer of things for managers and leaders to be thinking about, but it is part of your job as a, as a manager and a leader to grow the people underneath you so that they can start to figure out their own work pattern and what they want to do. 
One of our most favorite quotes to what Kate just referenced is by Bob Anderson, who wrote Mastering Leadership, founded the Leadership Circle Profile that we're a big fan of. And one of his quotes is, an organization cannot evolve beyond the consciousness of its leadership. And so that really is a call, call to action for leaders to not default into a way of, of leading that they've watched and so they've just stepped into or what they think they're supposed to do, but really a call to action to, to that pause again and get conscious about what's important to you. Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? And then start aligning the actions with your intentions. Mm-hmm. See what happens. You make me think about alignment quite a bit. I think that's one of the principles that stuck most with me that made me truly reflect and think on a very personal level, but also in the work I do. And here's just one theory that I have. I think, especially in the space we operate in, leadership training, coaching, and so on, we have a huge amount of momentum right now to help people align again, align the head and the heart you were talking about in your book as well. Where I noticed last year, after one year of COVID in particular, people were, as you mentioned, Debbie, fatigue exhausted, you know, just feeling like, what am I doing here? I'm just not really being myself and so on. I'm observing lately that there is a shift happening to, yes, I'm still tired. I'm exhausted. However, it also makes me think, who am I? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? And that is strongly connected to, to alignment as well. And to one of your principles, which is acclaiming values in particular, And I'm curious to talk about all the principles, but this one in particular with you. Claiming values, perhaps we start with just giving a brief overview of what's behind it, how you actually define claiming values or how you would explain it. Yeah, so claiming value has to do with the the excavation process of you knowing what is important to you. And how do you align that set of values with who you are every day when you show up and how you actually align it with the organization or the organizations that you are doing work with? It really is that simple. It's that simple and nobody does that work <laughs> unless you have a coach. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's where I sort of feel like, you know, we felt very strongly about this, which is there is this alignment that needs to happen between what you're doing and why you're doing it. One of the things that we noticed being inside organizations is how frustrated people are because they don't feel seen. And so often that will manifest around career progression, right? How come I'm not being promoted? This is me being hand flappy. You can't see that in the, in the video, but right. There's this hand flappiness of people saying, you know, what about me? How come me, how come I'm not being promoted? I did my job. And there's a body of research that looks at you're hired to do a job, professional progression, 55% of the, of the formula is showing up and doing your job and doing it well. That's what you get a paycheck for. But the other piece that we, you know, the other two parts that people may haven't talked to us about, and they're tied very much into the DEI world, is what impact are you making? 
not just both what you've done, like, can you speak to, I've done this and here's why it matters to the business. And secondly, here's what I'm known for in the way in which I do it. And when those two things are tied back to your values, what you believe, what's important to you, how you want to show up in the world, you're much more impactful in that impact part. So it's called pie, performance, impact. And the last part is exposure. So who knows about you? What tables do you get to set out? And when your impact is aligned to business outcomes and who you want to be, you're more compelling. And people will say, boy, if we're going to launch this new thing, we need Catherine at the table because she brings this, this, and this. And so we can count on her for that. Mm -hmm. Let's stretch her into this. Let's give that opportunity. Let's think about her in this kind of way. And so for us, that claiming your values is so core to you being conscious about the journey you want to be on and how you want to show up when you're on that journey, not defaulting it to somebody else. And I think the rituals you mentioned before play a huge role here as well. I, I give you one example, someone I've been working with over a few months now, he came to the conclusion that actually he completely suppressed his needs and the needs are so important. Understanding I'm actually more of an introverted person. I need me time. However, I believe if I don't play the extrovert who always wants to mingle and socialize, the team won't accept me. I won't be good enough, right? One of the gremlins you mentioned as well. And I, I did wonder how many people probably do that because it became this habit and don't even necessarily realize that they stretch themselves so out of their natural preference. And that can feel exhausting at some point. So again, having this awareness and support, probably Kate said you need a coach then in this moment, right? And to really understand what's going on is indeed so, so useful yeah. and so important. I don't think we write about this in the book, but it is absolutely, we, we walk our talk. We do all of this stuff. Uh, Deb and I live and breathe this with our, between ourselves and our own company with other companies and so on and so forth. And, and, and an example of that is coming up with the values that this, that the company that we are building together, we, we claimed, you know, we want to bring more humanity into the world of work so that the world of work is a better and more productive place. That's now in the book that is all over our website. And it, it actually helps us to claim the values that are important to us. We are not going to be a consulting firm that is for everyone. We're not. Mm -hmm. There are going to be plenty of companies out there that are just not interested in this. Yeah. And that is okay. You know, and I think that that's part of the the part of this whole values and claiming your values part of this conversation is that it's not just for some esoteric out there reason that you do it. It actually helps us to decide who's a good fit for us. You know, it's one of the questions that we ask, do we think we can bring more humanity into this workplace? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we want to have a conversation with that organization. But if the answer to that question, and this has happened to me, is no, I don't care how big the organization is, and this has happened to me before, if I don't think I can genuinely bring humanity into the workplace, then the answer is no, thank you. If they just want to check the box, right? That's I did right. that training and, oh, it sounds good that we did it. We're not a flavor of the day. 
we're a like way of living. You know, we talk about, and actually this chapter was written in response to our own awareness of the social justice movements that took place last year. And that's our mindset chapter, you know, and we realized you can give people all kinds of skills, but until they do the hard work of sort of digging into their own mindsets about why they think a particular thing is the way it is, their skills that will be the flavor of the day, but real transformation happens when people pause to consider, am I wanting to continue to live my life in a reactive way? Or do I want to create something that is meaningful to Mm me? Do I want to live my life feeling hopeless and in the hands of other people? Or do I want to claim the boundaries that are important to me? And in order to do that, I have to know why they're important to me, which is this claiming value work. Do I want to live in fear of resistance or do I want to step toward resistance and understand what that's about inside myself so that I can create more capacity for tolerance and understanding and appreciation. And the last mindset we offer is meaningful connection. If you're walking the world saying, I want to do my best to connect in meaningful ways to the world around me and the people that are in it, then how do I need to show up? Not how do they need to show up? How do I need to start to show up? And what's important to me about that? All of those mindsets bring you right back to the core of your beliefs and what's important to you. When you can act from that place, the continuity of your character and your being and the way people experience you, which I will claim is the most compelling component of impactful leaders, is significant. I come back to that in a moment because I would love to talk about how you create the habit of living in that center of those mindsets. Before we discuss this, Kate, how do you assess as to whether you will bring humanity into an organization or not? What are the signals, the signs for it? What do you pay attention to? You know, it, it really is the conversation that you have with them and you're, you're listening for their values. You're listening for what are the changes that they are, are needing or wanting within their organization for their people. Do they value their people? Is this a transactional environment or not? You're, you're looking for the quality of the conversation. What do they care about? What values are, are coming up in their conver- in the conversation that's happening? Are we listening to each other? Are they listening to what we have to say? You know, are we able to, I mean, we're listening at a, I would say at a, at a much deeper level to what are some of those changes that they want? You know, Deb is a, is a big fan of the question and it's a brilliant question. What is your biggest pain point? That's what we want to know. We want to know, and, and, and we come to most of these conversations with a prospective client, and we are asking the questions and just listening to try when to I'm, see, yeah, underneath if there is some sort of connection and if there is an alignment mm-hmm. in the values that we really care about and our expertise, quite frankly. Two things I would add to that absolutely about the pain point. I am listening for how how conscious are they of the pain that's causing them to outreach to us? Because Kathleen, you mentioned it earlier about 
in the mess, right? In the mess is where the learning happens. And so there's usually a pain point that companies are wanting our work, right? An internal pain point, a systemic pain point. We had one client come to us and say, we want you to help us understand how we can lead with both compassion and discipline. Well, all day, every day, sign us up, right? To do that work. And they didn't want a one and done, come in, teach this group, and then we'll move on. They realized this was a systemic issue. And it was, as we started peeling back the layers, there was miscommunication around alignment of values. Mm -hmm. There were too many values. People couldn't live 12, right? So we needed to pare it down. And we needed to just show people how those things live in every stakeholder group in the organization and what they can do if they're the finance person, the in the field person, or the executive to live into that Mm -hmm. so that there's cohesion and continuity in the way that organization is experienced. And then when they were ready, we started putting skills into the organization. But first we had to turn the light on. There had to be a, let's shine the light into those deep recesses and really understand what's not working here. And back to the subtitle of the book, they had the courage to say, we need to change what's not working in order to serve both our people today and the organization that we're trying to achieve. Um, and that those alignment, are the companies we want to work with. That's yeah. right. That Thank alignment you. can't happen if you don't do your own work on it. Mm. And that's what we write about in the book. You've got to do that work. Mm. You've got to do your own work around what is it that is, are the values that are important to you. And that's hard work. It takes some time. Yeah. Back to Kate saying, we live our values. Like, you know, I'm a, you know, I shared with you before we started the podcast, I'm, you know, 62. You only have so many heartbeats left, right? And so we want to do this work with people who want it to be meaningful. We do. The book is for everybody. The book is accessible for everybody. Um, But the work that Kate and I go in and do in particular with, with clients, and we have a a team of consultants uh, that work with us. It has to be meaningful. These are people who really want to do this work. And we're all in, thing, all in, all in with those folks. So much more fun as well. So much Just yes. all in, everybody on each side. And there are lots of consultants and lots of programs out there that will sell you their stuff yeah. and, you know, and then good luck. But yeah. um, this Absolutely. is transformational change for you and your organization. And, and Debbie, you mentioned already, I think, a part of the answer I asked before. And, you know, I would love to understand how you can make those mindsets a real habit, how you can be more in the center of those beliefs. Um, and you just said sustainable change, right? Continuously working on it is, is one thing that's really important. But what, what are other observations that you have had in order to help us understand how we can be more in that center? Well, I think it starts with consciousness, Kate. I don't feel free, I don't, you feel free to jump in. You know, here's a little example. I left a company at one point and, you know, it was time to leave. And there's interesting things happening at that particular company. And as members of my team also left, it was easy to get into a chit chat, right? A little like natty, gossipy. And, and I decided that's going to serve no one. That's not how I want to stand in relation to, to my exit with that company And that's not what's going to serve me or my relationship with these people going forward. So we made, in the book, a shared agreement that says we're only going to talk about truth, not gossip. 
And so we would preface something that we had heard with like truth, not gossip, because if it was gossip, it was not part of the conversation that could happen in this group. It wasn't going to serve us. It wasn't going to help us be in relationship with each other in the way that felt additive and growth. It just kept pulling us back to a place that we'd all chosen to move on from. So let that go and think about what do we want to create out here? That's outcome creating for us. You know, what do we want to create out here together in a different way of being together? Um, And what do we want to honor about the relationships that are keeping us connected together? And it is not about being natty about the past. It's about building the future and who we want to be together going forward. That's a consciousness, right? Of what do we want? How will it serve us? And how will we know? And that stays in my head. If we're assessing, is this client a good fit for us? Do we want to get on this podcast? What do I want to wear today, right? What is the highest and best use of my time, my heartbeat, my breath? And what do I want to create in this world in the time that I'm here? Mm. And I think about that all the time. Yeah, in particular, you know, how does it serve you? How does it serve others? I, I often say, is it worth my energy? That's really key. But you also mentioned you've left a role or job a couple of years ago. And both of you have been in what I would call impactful roles in the past in big global organizations. Both of you decided it's time to change. It's time to move on and to go more into coaching, training, consultancy. Now, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you aligned with what you really wanted, what felt, you know, falls more into your values. Well, I can, you want to go first, Kate? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I've tried to retire three times. So, you know, I'm not the best example, except maybe I'm shaping a different way of retiring. But the key decision for me went back to one of my most important values, which was my family. And my husband had been promoted into a very big role. And we realized we weren't at our best when we were both in those big roles. And I'd had my shot. I'd done my time. Uh, One of my coaches was like, what are you trying to prove? Like, why do you keep putting yourself through this? Like, what more do you need? Because it wasn't financial. I'd had great opportunities to see if what I believed could be put into place, into a workplace and make a difference. I had an objective to fundamentally change the world of work. And I couldn't do that inside just one company. And so I needed to find a higher leverage place for me to do that and to do it in a way that supported the family and the life that I wanted to have. And and what was important to me there was to be more present, to be more present with my husband, with my children, with my grandchildren, with aging parents. And so I chose more flexibility and choice in my life and then sought, how can I find a high leverage way to continue the work that has meaning to me, um, which is how do I fundamentally change the world of work and landed here. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic story as well. And, and I think a lot of listeners can actually relate to the thought process and perhaps needed to hear that from you to say, yeah, I 
actually, that's exactly how I feel. I need to take the leap, you know, take the step forward. Kate, sorry. Yeah, no, my, my path was a little bit different. I had had about uh, 15 years in the advertising industry, and I was really tired of having the same conversation over and over again in that industry. It was the creatives wanted to make it more creative <laughs> and the client wanted to make it more functional. And you kind of go, if it's all functional, no one's going to watch it. If it's too creative, no one's going to remember what you're advertising. And I was always sort of stuck in the middle of that conversation. And I just got tired of having it, quite frankly. And so I decided to leave, even though I had had a terrific career at Ogilvy and Mather in New York. And I left with a lot of grace. I went around and actually with relationships, the CEO on down, really with relationships with people and thanked them for everything that I had learned while I was at that organization. And it definitely helped that I wasn't leaving that organization and going to another organization to do the same thing. And everyone was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I had saved a bunch of money to redo my kitchen in my apartment in New York. And I thought, screw the kitchen. I'm actually going to redo my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remodel my life. My kitchen is just fine. It's not that big. I don't do that much cooking. I'm fine. <laughs> that could be me. I don't do that much cooking. Oh, come on. Forget about the kitchen. <laughs> And so, um, you know, so I, so I left to try to figure out, you know, what was the next thing? Cause everyone of course was like, where are you going? What are you going to do? And they mm. imagined that I was going to go off and do X, Y, and Z. And so I, I just said, you know, this job is so intense. I can't spend my time thinking about what is next for me and do this job the way that I know this job needs to be done. And so I took some time off to sort of figure it out and, and ultimately landed on doing some free freelance work because I had to, I had bills to pay and a mortgage to pay and all of that kind of stuff. So I didn't have the complete luxury of being able to not work. I had to work, but I, I, I because I was freelancing, I basically was able to sort of say, I can do this amount of work and this, not this amount of work which is harder to say when you're salaried with someone. And, you know, and, and I spent some time doing some soul searching and trying to sort of figure out what was next and ultimately landed on coaching. This is back in 2003 that I became a coach. And this is back when people did not know what coaching was. Mm -hmm. And you can't see this because I'm tall. I'm about five foot eight, but with heels, it turns into five foot 10. And so people are like, are you going to be a basketball coach? <laughs> because coaching was relegated at that point to sports, you know? <laughs> I didn't know the coaches need to be tall as well. <laughs> so, so I was like, no, it's this new thing, but let me show you what it is. And thus began my, my uh, very slow building career. And I, and as soon as I started doing it, I thought, man, organizations need these skills. They need to be reminded of these skills. And so, you know, so it's almost been 20 years since we've been, you know, since I've been doing this, but it is courageous, which is, we wanted that word in our subtitle, mm -hmm. you know, it is awareness and then, cho you know, choice and the courage to change. This is not for the faint of heart. You know, this is about you deciding and potentially making some really big decisions yeah. about what works for you in your life. And probably also the courage to figure it out. 
That's because right. you you may have some sort of a vision, right? But can change. That's right. Well, and I love that you asked the question about values, right? Because I think for both of us, the journey was grounded in values. And if you don't start with that work, you will be on a wandering journey here Mm -hmm. that might take you into lots of different moments of exploration. And then I guess the encouragement there would be to, you know, ask yourself, what is that giving you and what's it costing you? And what would be different? You know, what do you want that's different? And then back to outcomes, what what would it take to create that? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, we'll, we get trapped, again, back to rituals, repeated narratives, that success has to look a particular way. But you have this one beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you want success in your life to look like? You know, what do you on those last breaths want to feel like, you know, I did it my way and I feel good and full and complete about that life. And that doesn't happen by default. It happens in a very conscious, concerted way. You know, it reminds me, Deb, we, you are at the center of this book. We are not big fans of the victim mentality. We're not, you know, we really encourage it's up to you the only thing you can control is you. Indeed. And so that is at the center of this book because we, you know, I, I think it's very easy to sort of blame them or to make them more important than you or your family. And the truth of the matter is you are the one that is most important. So what is important to you? And are you living that? That is how this book is written. It's written for you to start to get more conscious so that you can actually make the choices that you want to make and potentially step into some courageous change. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that through many micro moments. You know, my Mm -hmm. husband and I were starting our day today and He has a big meeting with his partners. And I said to him, you know, what do you want the outcome of this to be for you today? And part of it could be like, I just need to get through it. Right. And, and then there's the, and what will that give you? What do you want them to take away from this moment in time? And then you walk in conscious of what you're trying to create as opposed to defaulting your way through your day. And it's just like a, a moment. I wake up every day and I'm like, what is the highest and best use of my time today? And I live that day thinking about that. It might be spending time with the dog, being out in nature, you know, hugging my grandkids. It, it could be a million different things, but starting the day with that intention helps me live into it. Indeed, being more intentional, you know, is, is so important to show up com- with a completely different energy that you step in. Mm-hmm. And the micro messages, the micro intentions, the micro moments of awareness, the micro behaviors, I think break it so nicely down and break the overwhelm down for for people reading the book, listening to the book, working with you in terms of how am I going to do all of this? It's all about these micro moments. And I kind of want to play Frank Sinatra in the background right now, Debbie. You said I did it my way, right? Um, that, 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 it's just, it feels so easy. It feels like, oh gosh, let's take a deep breath and really focus on what's important, what's meaningful. Yeah. And I, I love that because, you know, one of, one of my favorite practices is the creating safety one. Mm-hmm. And we, we hear from people 
Um, you know, there might be somebody who's very senior in the organization who is not treating people well and who creates an unsafe environment. And we hear this all the time. Well, what can I do about it? You know, well, and that's, it's a good question rather than what can I do about it? I'm not empowered to do anything about it To Well, what can you do about yeah. it? I, we're not going to be the first one. We're not going to be the ones to say, well, go and have a conversation with that senior level manager and give them what for. No, that's not what we're <laughs> suggesting. But you, you might have a group of three or four people who were in that same meeting, who are friends and colleagues, and you could check in with them. How are you doing? What can I do to help you? right? There is a sphere that you circulate in that you actually can create safety in that sphere. We're not saying you need to go and put your job or, you know, your well-being at, on, on, the, on the line unless you want to, right? You know what I mean? But there, there, is, there is an area where you do have some agency, where you can uh, check in with some of the people that you circulate with. And, and how do you create safety there? Right. It's, 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 it's both, you know, but, but thank you for giving me this wonderful um, segue into that topic, create safety. It, the first principle in your book and you give some, yeah, some great examples of uh, big senior people who were even in the news and people spoke about because they did not behave very appropriately to say the least. However, I also hear and see big senior people in corporate behaving really badly and nothing's happening. And I spoke actually yesterday to someone who Asian background in IT and so on and so forth has worked her way up and up and up and wants to be this amazing change agent as a female leader in a very male dominated environment, right? It's, it's her vision. She wants to do something different. But anyway, she was sharing um, about a previous uh, experience she has had in a, another organization where the CEO behaved consistently badly. There's no other word to use. Harassing people, discriminating people, excluding people, and so on and so forth. And she said it was one of the key female leaders who spoke up at some point, and then she left. And it was me and I left as well. And she became really angry in this conversation. She was like, I cannot understand why it's just always one or two people who actually step up and who say something and who call it out because it's simply not just us seeing and experiencing this. I actually notice I get goosebumps talking about that. What is going on? Right. And when I, when I listened to that chapter in particular, again, I was like, what is going on? I understand there are fears. Yes. What is going on in particular? What can we do to help people speak up? I think the speaking up is also tied to the chapter on owning your impact, right? So owning your impact is this idea that once we know what's important to us and how we want to live into it, you are responsible for the impact that you create. And for many of us, we are unaware of that impact. And in fact, the only way you can become aware of that impact is when other people tell you about the impact that you're having. And then that's your moment to say, boy, did I want to be that jerk in that moment? Did I intend to cut people off that way? Do I even realize that person might be, you know, living their life off of a playbook that they got about how leaders are supposed to be? Mm -hmm. They may be 
mirroring the kind of leadership they experienced on their way up, toxic or not, because they've never paused to be like, geez, is that intentional? Do I want to be that way? Do I care about the impact that that has on other people? So in the absence of feedback, we actually don't know if we're having the kind of impact that we're having or not. And so that is tied to then how do you offer in a way that that helps the person feel seen and not diminished uh, the impact that they're having. And that goes back to the model in the book, which is you have to keep it about you and not make it about them, right? You have to deliver the message from here's the effect that this is having on me. And I'm not sure if that's what you're intending or not, but here's what's happening out here because of this. And if after sharing that, the person in particular in leadership is not going to change. And look, I've left companies because of that. And often having to be the person to tell the person that, right? And if they're not going to change, then the choice is always yours, Yeah. right? You do what serves you best. And if after doing your best, like there's no change, then vote with your feet and do what's best for you. But don't take your baggage along with you. Make sure that you deal with it before you've moved on. And it does not mean that if you try and it is not heard, that it is not important to keep trying. It just means that person's not ready. That's not about now, you. In our experience, there is so many of us are unconscious of the unintended impacts that we make. And I think even around this whole issue of me too, you're like, really? But, but if nobody actually has the nerve to go up and say to somebody, Hey, here's what's going on for me. Here's what you may or may not be aware of, but I think you should be aware of, you know what I mean? You got to have the courage to be able to go and have those conversations and you get to decide if that's you or if that's somebody else that you want to have in that conversation. But, you know, we really believe in the whole human being all the way up the ladder, right? You know, we, we do, you know, and so oftentimes people are not actually, they think those senior level people should just know that they're having that unintended impact and maybe yeah. they do and maybe they don't. Such a the fair point. Of, the flip side of this is leaders often can be hesitant to let people understand the impact they're creating. And so we navigate around that behavior. You know, we're dealing in an organization right now where for decades people had worked together with behavior that wasn't serving them, but nobody was telling them about it. They were just navigating around that difficult behavior. And now back to career progression, they're being, they're being, the company is now saying, like, no, no, not that but they've never been told. They've never been told that how they're being was not serving them or the people around them. And once the leadership got to a place of courageous, honest conversation, you know, it's just like this breath, this breath of relief came about both relationships because they just didn't know. And nobody wants to walk around being a jerk but if nobody tells you you're being a jerk, you don't know, right? It's just tolerated. 
And if nobody steps toward you to say, boy, is that what you're wanting? And if it's not, let's talk about what other options and choices are available to you. And I'll be here to help you work through that. Mm. Right. I'll be here to help you. I'm not here to just dump on you and leave you alone back to creating safety, right. To do the hard, courageous work. And so it goes both ways. It's just not about those people got into those positions of leadership because somewhere along the way, nobody said to them, no, not that, right? Is that really how you want to be? And in our experience, 90% of the time, and I think it's that high, people don't want to be that jerk. No, they don't. 90% 90% of that time, I'm such, we're such a huge fan of Kevin Cashman. I think this is in the book, you know, Kevin Cashman, who's written leadership on the inside out. And, you know, he's just a terrific writer. And he talks about how vast the external world is. There's stuff out there that we don't know. We know there's stuff out there that we don't know that we don't know. Like it's huge. Nobody would argue with that. And he said, I think our internal worlds are just as vast. Yeah, We're all on this journey to learn about ourselves am I being the kind of person that I want to be or not? That's why I'm a coach. (laughs) And I'm going to champion your IT person for her courage to say, and the person who delivered the message, because that might be the first time that person had ever had that kind of conversation. And whether they're standing in a place of being ready to listen and really absorb it or not, it's there. It's Mm -hmm. now part of of their story mm. and what they do with it. That's about them. Yeah. What choice you make after, after delivering, you know, honest, courageous, thoughtful feedback, you know, that's about them. And how liberating is it to think about it that way? We have choices, right? We can speak up about it. We can give feedback. If the feedback doesn't land, nothing's going to change. We can make the choice to leave. And um, we come here to the next point, and that's about excuses. So indeed, we have the choice to leave. You are fantastic role models of, okay, I've made my choices to be more aligned, right? However, other people might have excuses. I have a mortgage to pay. Kate, you had the same situation. I have children. I have that, whatever it is. Where do the excuses come from? And what benefit do, does anyone gain from having those excuses and not making change happen? Well, we're sort of in the land of, I, I, I actually believe that some excuses are very relevant, right? You may be a single mom and not be able to, or single dad and not be able to, you know, sort of leave that job. You know what I mean? And, and I'm a big fan of, you got to take that inventory and figure out what is right for you. But I'm also a big fan of that doesn't mean you have to be the victim and stay there forever. It might be that you just need to stay there for another six months while you create a plan and then figure out where else you want to go and so on and so forth, right? You know, whenever anyone hires us, we always say, you know, you're signing up for some uncomfortability here, right? You know, like if you're ready to leave this organization, if you're ready to make a big change in your life you know, most of us don't have the luxury of being able to just leave and have that be that we don't, you know, but that doesn't mean that, that you can't build towards that. It just may take a little bit longer. And so I think it is this getting really clear about what you like and what you don't like. And as Deb said, just a few minutes ago, 
and being able to go and have those conversations because the organization may not be aware of it in the same way that that toxic boss might not be aware of the impact. The organization may not be aware of some of the things that you're doing that aren't working for you. So is that a good place to start first and foremost? And if they're not responsive to that, then it might be time to sort of figure out, well, where can I go? What is next? What do I want to do? How do I take care of my family, myself, my well-being, the roof over my head and the food on my table, and still have the life that I want to live? And I believe everyone can have that. It just may take, it just may, it's going to, it's going to happen in different ways. For me, one key question here is, if organizations do not step into the five practices, if they make the choice not to practice all the micro behaviors and the micro actions, what are the risks for those organizations? You know, the premise of this book is productivity is about people. And if you don't pay attention to those people, then we, we genuinely believe the success of your company is at risk. Right. And we also know that we are not everyone's cup of tea. We're not. But but I think that we're starting to see some of the fatigue set in with a lot of organizations and people in those organizations who want to be taken more seriously where their mental health, their well-being, their work-life balance. I mean, the list goes on. These are things that are super important to people. And I think we're seeing organizations more aware than potentially they've ever been before of how much they need the people that are working for them. Because people are saying, if you don't actually meet me at these places that I need to be met at, fulfillment, better work-life balance, mental health, whatever, you know, they're, they're like, see ya, I'm out of here. Well, and I think the brutal reality of that is uh, there aren't enough people for the number of jobs that companies need to have filled. And that's a shift, right? That's the big shift. For decades, there have been more people than we had jobs. But as we entered into January of 2019, certainly in the US, we began to see a you know multi-quarter trend of more jobs of open than humans to fill them. And so the job market is at choice for employees right now. Yeah. And we're seeing it certainly in the U.S. in the great resignation um, and based on our response to our Harvard Business Review article in other parts of the world as well. And so I think the confluence of the pandemic where people had more time to think about what's important to me, like the world shifted and it caused people to consider their lives, I think, differently and what they wanted from it. And what was important, that happened over there. On the business end, it caused businesses to have to be like, whoa, geez, how are we going to get work done in this different kind of reality? And I'm a big believer that what got you here is not what's going to get you where you need to go going forward. We have to rethink everything. And I know that's hard when everybody's tired, but the reality is that's what has to happen. And so the big mantra we have is, you know, your people are humans. They're not resources. And you need to start thinking about them that way. Quit treating your people like a resource, a cog in the wheel, a means to the end. Get into relationship with your people. 
from the minute they walk in the door and stay in it once they leave because there's not enough talent to go around and careers are long. So shifting our mindset to those people being a commodity that comes in and helps us get a thing done and we're going to pay them and they're going to deliver for us to we need these people and we need to stay in healthy relationship with them over the lifetime of their career, if they're with us or not. So they're out there promoting, this is the best place I've ever worked. Or when they go out and on some part of their career journey, learn more and can do more, they say, man, I want to go back to that place. That was the best place I ever worked. And I want to contribute more of my heartbeats and breaths there. That's That's the risk, people. There aren't enough people and you need them. And this is a different way to think about being in relationship with the people who help your business be profitable. And as you too so nicely said in your book, truly care about them because they are all human beings. So bring this care in that builds trust. It's an inner de- humanity is interdependent. The workplace relies on humanity. Thank you so much for everything. Mm. So many amazing insights, laughter, reflection, loved the conversation with you. Thank you so much for everything you bring into this world with all your energy. Before I let the two of you go, I'd love to for the audience to know where can they find your book and where can they find out more about you? So you can find our book on Amazon, certainly in Barnes and Nobles. It's in some independent stores, etc. So all of that. You can find us at humanityworks.com. You'll find articles. Uh, This podcast will be posted up there as well as other podcasts and articles that have been published. And there's a newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter. So, you know, there's just a ton of resources on our website. Kate and I are both active on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Twitter. And, you know, maybe you'll post those, those uh, tags for people. Definitely. Um, but feel free to join the movement. It takes it takes a whole community of people to change the world of work and bring more humanity to it. And we're just so grateful, Kathleen, that you've invited us into your circle. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so much. And as you so nicely said, Debbie, my co-moderator here, you will find the links to everything Kate and Debbie just <laughs> mentioned in the show notes and obviously in all the social media posts as always. But for now, I let the two of you go and get ready for your big reunion tomorrow with hopefully a lot of nice and lovely wine. And I let everybody else go and just enjoy yourself. And don't forget, humanity indeed works. Thank you so much, everyone. Everybody, take good care. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.